Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Joel Nagelbush is a life coach and speaker at the Change Management Company, where he teaches people how to find purpose in change. Joel is on the National Speakers Bureau and a wish grantor for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Helping others is what he does. Joel, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story today. Hi, Andrea. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm very excited. And before I hit record, you said it's very unusual for you to talk about your cancer journey, even though you are a very well-known speaker. That alone, I find very interesting. Um, but do take us back to the beginning. Where did it all start for you? This is uh, a fascinating beginning to the discussion. I I was thinking about this as I prepared for our talk today and I was in, I, I'm a professor as well, and I was teaching class last night and some of the stuff started to trickle out. And it, uh, I was teaching adult, I teach adult learners and it brought me back to the beginning because I was sick but didn't know it. Like most people who are fighting or have fought cancer and my, the sickness came out in the form of being tired. But at the time I was 25 years old and a young man and I was a massage therapist and traveling the world and doing all these things and tired was just kind of part of it. You know, you're working in a room with quiet music and it's relaxing and uh, just seem tired. So I was at the time and still do practicing martial arts. And I noticed that I had a lump in my throat. I didn't do anything about it because I was a young man. And <laughs> we just thought that uh, I say we, I think it's the multiple voices in my head. Uh, but we decided that it was just a bump. And then it stays around for a little while. And then it started to change uh and you know how it felt but you know i was already on the spiritual quest so once you open the door to that spiritual quest you sort of question everything like wait do i am i, am I just feeling this too much did you have any other symptoms so fatigue and okay. the the big uh lump which i guess would be a goiter probably um but any other symptoms looking back on it i had really bad dry skin Mm. I was getting, um, because the thyroid gland controls your metabolism, my body didn't know how to absorb energy. So I would try to fuel myself with supplements, caffeine. I remember things to help you lose weight because a lot, you know, the thyroid gland also controls your, well, it controls your metabolism. It controls how much weight you gain or lose. Yeah. And I was putting on weight and wearing scrubs all day. When you start to fill out the scrubs, it's uh, <laughs> like, wait a minute, something's not right. That's such a good visual, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, but for me, I was, I also struggled with self-image issues. So when the energy started to deplete and the sleeping started to disappear, 
the depression started to slip in, but these are all normal things of normal life. You're tired, you can't sleep, you got skin stuff, you got hair stuff. It was just your hormonal. I would watch um, a commercial on toilet paper and start crying. <laughs> And, and I mean, I, it's all right. It's, I, I grew up in a pretty hardcore place in South Florida, and my boys are hardcore, and they're looking at me, and I'm trying to stay like be the cool guy, like I'm good. Something's in my eye. <laughs> but, but you know what happens when you try to hold back the crying? It just gets it gets worse. Uh, yeah. Eventually, it's coming out. Yeah. So, um, symptom-wise, that's what I was dealing with, and as as I started to realized that this bump in my throat wasn't smooth anymore and it started to feel sort of like a peach pit it started to gain attention but yet still the industry was dismissive almost you're a young man young men don't get thyroid cancer you've never lived in a place that has high incidence of that no one in your family has that so it's probably just a nodule or probably just a cyst and it'll go away on its own wait so is this what doctors actually said to you Mm -hmm. I was going through all of this while I was dating my son's mom. And I found out shortly after the thyroid cancer diagnosis that I was going to be a dad. My son's mom and I at the time weren't together. So I thought, okay, this might be the time to work it out. Looking back, hormones playing a trick. And we start to make a life together. I am dealing with the thyroid stuff now, still not knowing that I have thyroid cancer and just dealing with things. I'm I'm really tired. This thing in my neck now is getting bigger. I was practicing martial arts and we we do, you know, when you're trying to protect yourself in self-defense, you bring your chin to your, you flex your neck, as we would say in the medical industry. Um, But I couldn't do that anymore. And I would look down just a little bit and it would influence how I was breathing. So now whatever's in my neck, is growing so we have to address it and i go see two doctors because the first doctor i saw uh did four needle aspiration biopsies and missed the tumor every time i got to the place where anytime a doctor said to me you're gonna feel a little pinch uh it it created anxiety like i'm not a small dude so you know, and you got a doctor coming over with a long needle and <laughs> in the best of circumstances, that's not a great situation. So you're going to like, you know, it's not a little pinch, doc. This is going to hurt. I'll stay relaxed. Do your thing. And over and over and over again, mm-hmm. there's no tumor. The tissue is fine. There can't be cancer. They never did a scan? Not yet. Not okay. yet. So I end up going to see uh, ENT. By chance, he happened to be on the first floor of the pharmacy that I had been seeing for years. His protocol was such that they do a scope and they do their scan. It's funny, I still remember it today. They do the scope awake. And like today, if you said that to somebody that you're going to what? You want to put that down? Well, I look back now, I don't know how I got through it. Like if you got near me right now, I feel like I'd sneeze. Anyways, he goes down and he says, all right. I see the nodule. I'm not sure if it's cancer, but I'm going to put you on medication. And it was sent through it. And his hope was that if your thyroid is overactive, that's why it's sort of grown something and we'll give it the tissue and medicine it needs and it'll shrink. 90 days, come back and we'll see what's going on. So I brought up becoming a father because while 
I was on my on the synthroid and having the and still had my thyroid gland, although it wasn't working. I was on fire. I was so alert and aware. Like it felt like somebody poured a warm cup of coffee in my head every day. I couldn't believe it. Like it, it, it was an amazing time. However, we take my son to his three month checkup and the doctor does the echo test on him on his liver looks over his shoulder and says you have to go to jackson memorial he needs a liver transplant <gasps> what what now what you should like just a lesson in life what you don't want to do is tell a guy who's my size and hormonal that his son needs that and they're sending me to jackson memorial where my grandmother had literally just died from a medical error oh my god so oh, no. and while this is going on i'm trying to work a relationship out with my son's mom graduate college and run a massage therapy school a if lot were, yeah a lot was going on <laughs> if you were to ask me before then joel this is this is what's coming i'm not one to lack confidence but i'm not sure how i would have been able to get my head around that mm. as it turns out those things turned into the most magical experiences of my life later. How so, did they finally figure out it was cancer? And by the way, I've never heard of them doing those types of biopsies without having done a scan first. So How did they finally figure it out? So we get down to Jackson and the 90 days comes up. My son's going through his stuff and I'm going to the doctor and he says, all right, I said that when 90 days came up, comes up I'm going we, we're probably gonna have to remove the thyroid gland but I'll leave it if when I go in to take off the nodule it's not cancerous I woke up the next after surgery and my family was there and my thyroid gland was not <laughs> <laughs> so while it was a shock I was still heavily medicated from the surgery I'm, I'm grateful for that part of the process because I know what the brain or i know what the mind can do uh with uncertainty and i know what it can do with change that's why i started the business to manage change and i know what my brain wants to do with stuff if i had to worry about what was in my neck for a long time i'm not sure it lands me with the same lessons that i learned through it it was a long time yeah yeah but i didn't have the worry that I was sick, sick. I just thought, because the, see, it, it's interesting. Uh, when I, when I coach young men, dudes have an ego and in that ego, we feel like we're impenetrable and we're invincible and emotionally and spiritually and physically. And I just couldn't fathom, thankfully, the idea that I might have some kind of throat cancer because the door on the other side of that was just too frightening. After the surgery, what was the plan? Six weeks with no thyroid, six weeks with no thyroid medication. They put me on a medicine for a couple of weeks called, I want to say it's called Cytomel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the uh, T3. Yeah. 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 Uh, I haven't thought about that word. I told you this was the first time I'd really gotten deeper. This is like going to be cathartic today. The Cytomel and the meds for me became um the pain meds you know became a bit of a crutch and a numbing and a 
a way to enhance the bubble around me so I didn't have to really deal with what was coming next because while the doctors put out a real specific plan in six weeks when you've depleted your body of all the iodine and all of your thyroid tissue and any leftover cancer that might be in there we're going to feed your body with the i-131 the nuclear reactive the radiation yeah. <laughs> yeah that comes with a skull and crossbones right. i That's remember right. <laughs> is this simultaneous with your very young son needing a liver mm -hmm. transplant this is all going on so that six-week window was also during a three-month window where i was literally watching my son die because as a, and i'm a big proponent for organ donation i do speaking events on that so I, I get a little passionate about it but today there's a 90 day about a 90 day 89 day wait for liver if you need one in 2003 there was a 90 day wait and we were doing just that so i'm unbelievably hormonal tired in a way that people don't really understand we were talking about it last night in class students i said i realize that you're going to get tired with working in school but i understand what true fatigue is and that kind of tired got me to a place where even a little bit of stress would be so much for my body to handle i'd have to sit down i couldn't even chew through a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without my my the muscles in my mouth cramping up but yet i had to drive 45 minutes to the hospital every day because Justin wasn't coming home. He, we were just, he was in the hospital waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. It created uh, an atmosphere for me. I don't think I've even spoken about this to anyone before. Part of being tired breaks down any barriers or things that you have in your, in, in, in your head to protect yourself, ourselves. And to learn about fatherhood and the atmosphere that I was doing it um, in an atmosphere that, that which has happened to my grandmother was extraordinary. Then to wipe me out tired and make me hormonal. And then, you know, I was a punk ass kid, grew up in South Florida. So, you know, like that stuff comes back as my defense mechanism. And, you know, there's homeless people coming up at the, at, at the hospital asking for stuff. And, you know, like, 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 dude, you're asking me for a dollar and like I'm going upstairs to watch my son die. And I'm saying it to them, not in the manner that I just described it to you, but eventually I almost got like a reputation. Security left me alone. Almost people left me alone because I was in a place of pure darkness. Yeah. You know, you leave the hospital and it's a sad place anyways. And then you do that and I'm dealing with the thyroid cancer and the radiation that's coming and there's nothing in the way to stop my brain from going off the deep end of what ifs and you know and whenever i'm talking to somebody about managing change controlling the brain is the first stop like we work on because from the 40 minute drive from jackson because i still tried to work and i still tried to go to school my my, my subconscious was grabbing on anything normal like I look back and there was no reason to go to work with the drains and the stitches and the bed. Like, like I didn't have to do that, but I was trying to hold on to something. Like it was, it was total change in my life. And I didn't know, like it was no one to turn to. Like no one has advice for those times. No one has guidance for those moments. It's 
uh, I mean, you're in the fire. And my brain, I, th I think most people's brains go to the darkest place possible. So, Joel, what happened after you did the radiation? So I come out of radiation. It was a three-day isolation period. Right after the radiation was one of the most magical times of my life. We got the call for my son's liver transplant. So all of us, I say all of us, you know, my son, our family, myself, the healing process was about to really gear up. Justin turned out uh, doing wonderful and, and having to get, you know, go through some stuff. For me, coming out of the radiation was the end of the mechanical side of dealing with cancer. Right? Like, like I, I, I like I, that. I got that the makes, disease. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. And, and I often talk about this when I'm, when I'm talking about in a Make-A-Wish event or I'm talking about cancer. Like I, I don't typically congratulate people for surviving cancer, just like I don't congratulate them for getting it. What I do appreciate and what I do look for is to see how it transformed our life. And for the first five or six, for a long time after radiation, while I could take a pill and my labs would be okay, or they wouldn't, and then they would change my medication and you wait a while to see if things are getting back on track. There was a lot of stuff that was hidden inside this journey that I hadn't really been aware of yet. Um, the anxiety, uh, the PTSD that comes from um, being in the isolation room, the doctor telling you that if you get sick and you throw up that radiation pill, you're going to have to start over. My brain had just attached the two. You're not going to throw up. You're not going to start this over. And as I started to move forward with getting my life back together, uh, learning how to be a dad and graduating college and figuring out what it's like to be an adult, I was, I was forced to learn how to gauge my reactions again and uh, my sensitivities because I was, I'd spent so long dealing with the residuals of thyroid cancer and then i had spent so long fighting the illness and not really knowing that i it was a new identity coming out of radiation what was your worst moment during that time the doctors said that you can't have anyone near you within 10 feet for more than, I don't remember exactly which seconds. And, and the, the amount of uh, uh, the space might've been different too. But that was, that was the hardest for me because the first realization is that, wait a minute, I'm gonna go through radiation. I'm gonna put something in my body that's so bad that no one can even be near me. I mean, the guy delivering it, it was like out of a movie. It like, was, I had yeah, this it, thing. It was it like, comes down like the, Star Trek or something, right? <laughs> And thankfully, I didn't know that was coming because you hear it. It's like, okay, I'm in a room and there was newspaper all over the walls. And they're like, you can't sneeze or yawn. If you can spit anywhere, it's going to have the radiation in it. Like, what do you mean? Like, you have to sit down to pee. What? And then comes the guy dressed up out of a movie with a container, looks like out of the military. And it's got like a little, it's got a little bomb. It's, it's like 
like Russian dolls, right? right. At least mine was. Right. It was like container within a container right. within a container, and then these horse pills. Yep. And yeah, wow. So, what was your best moment? The best moment commanding radiation was the Chinese food with bags and bags of soy sauce dumped in it <laughs> because they kept me away from salt so long. That's all I could have, I, I, you could have made me a cup of soy sauce and I would have been happy. But for me, so they measure you to get out with the Geiger counter. I needed to go see my son. Mm, yeah. I needed to course. get back to him. And I remember walking into the hospital and I remember going upstairs and I remember the elevator and getting into the room. It, it was, it, it was, it was quite the magical moment. However, I had, it was snot and crying and I, I, I had, I, I was a mess. Yeah. I was spiritually a mess. So while it was my best moment and, and maybe one of maybe the, the, the top, emotional moment in my life i don't i don't remember ever having so much come out and oftentimes when i'm speaking there'll be times when i'm really in the zone and i'm really lined up and the messages is flowing through where i'll get that sense of uh i'm just right where i am when i'm supposed to be there and it was a real sense of i don't want to say a sense of fight maybe a sense of purpose we had a fight now that's done my son's got his transplant like like we can do this there's a mechanical thing we have to go through and the next day i'm back at work and a woman comes up to me i i, I wish i could remember her name there's a couple people in the story that i wish i could remember specifically and i was running the massage school and she came to get a massage we had the students practicing on people and she said what's going on with your throat? I had a bandage over it. And I said, I, I just recovered from thyroid cancer. And she says, Oh, I just got diagnosed with a nodule. And that was the first moment that the universe, God, I don't, it doesn't matter, whatever you believe in had, had sort of snapshot the plan for me. I don't believe in coincidence. I never believe in coincidence. That was my test to really check because if you believe that if you don't believe in coincidence, then it all happens for a reason. I'll get into that's going to be another podcast later, but the purpose behind it all, that there's something that meant that my son's transplant, that meant that the thyroid cancer, my grandmother all had a purpose too. And while mm -hmm. I didn't know that having a, a sense of purpose gave me a, a platform to move from and make decisions out of, and it gave, it allowed me a sense of direction. And while the next couple of years after that, I made the worst strategic decisions of my life. Okay, give us one because now I'm really oh, curious. I, I mean, I, 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 I quit a job. I invested in a business. I lost my money in that business and a best friend. Uh, the job leaving it was not the best financial choice in the world. I was dealing with substance abuse from, you know, come out of the thyroid surgery. And they're like, oh, yeah, here's, here's your pills. Bye. Okay. Well, learning how to live a clean life again. You okay? Yeah. yeah it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny going back there. Um, it seems like it's so long ago, but those things, 
that that part of my life really etched the place that I'm at now. And it is absolutely amazing what that has done for my ability to like when I'm around wish kids and I'm around wish families and I'm around those anybody who's had cancer, that stuff in my life is a validator. And it, it's given me a superpower to be around people who've gone through some stuff. And it's weird because I see these wish kids or I see somebody that has cancer and I rarely even talk about mine because I almost feel like, like I see people going through surgery after surgery after surgery and, and a wish kid has a cancer that nobody even knows if they're going to be able to treat. And I'm like, yeah, I was a cancer survivor. <laughs> <laughs> But I would them, say don't minimize that. Well, I've learned to stretch out about it now, right? Because Good. that experience for me has afforded me the ability to help the people that I do. When the PTSD wore off, the confidence started to, to find its way into the actions of my life, uh, the lives of the people I touch. I, I mean, it's, I mean, everywhere I'm trying to have an impact, it became what I wanted my son to see. So as we're traveling together, we didn't go to school. He would be homeschooled him because of the transplant. So he mirrored me and it was, we're at fast food. You want to make people smile. Like your impact on the world is, is purposeful too. And I'm grateful for it. I wouldn't want to do it again. I don't wish it on anybody else. <laughs> it's not a gift you would give, right? <laughs> right? So on that note, what's one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning? right after you got the diagnosis. If I could go back and then put some advice into Joel's young hormonal brain, I would tell him to do what you can to stay in the moment. Living in the moment, I was in isolation, focusing on the words of the newspapers that were on the wall. Because when I went laser focus on the words, the rest of the chaos I was worried about wasn't being worried about. Yeah. And uh, I struggled for a long time with the thought of something happening in my motivational talks. I call it the snowball effect, where a little thought in your head becomes a big scenario. While that's fine to plan, our brains tend to attach emotion to it. That caused a lot of unnecessary grief and angst and worry that no one would ever tell me, oh, it, it, it would, I, I almost get a pass because of the things I was going through. But I, I would hold Joel to a higher standard and try to encourage and push. Listen, bro. And I do. I have to do it for my son now, you know. Um, and I do it for people because we are typically what's in our own way. I, I totally agree. And I do want to add for people watching or listening that everyone has this sort of assumption that cancer is genetic when most of the time it is not. However, thyroid disease of any kind, typically friends and families, and typically 90% of the time it is a woman. So while I'm not excusing the doctors who neglected to figure it out, I do understand their thought process about it. And it, it is one of the few situations where truly it is something in the genes with thyroid disease. So on that note, I want to ask you, if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? We were talking about, you mentioned the doctors not catching 
the what I was dealing with. Right. I don't harbor any resentment for that. My grandmother passing away from a medical error was a basic breakdown in communication. She had a reaction. Somebody was supposed to call the crash cart. Yeah. That call didn't happen. Cost her a life. So if you ask me if I could fix one thing, I would increase the level of transparency in effective communication channels. I'm going for my doctorate. It's actually, um, it is my world that effective communication and establishing communication links is what's needed. Have you read the book, The Checklist? I think it's called The Checklist Manifesto by Dr. Tulgawandi, where he talks about the breakdown in communication and how essential it is to have a checklist and everybody's on the same page and to have that consistency every single time. I think you would really like his book. And it's a checklist manifesto by Dr. Who? Dr. Atul, A-T-U-L, Gawande, G-A-W-A-N-D-E. I love his stuff. It would have made a big difference. My wife is a firefighter. And I know, I just know I was a, I just have, have had a lot of experience in the industry and I realize, um, especially as I study with what's coming on with thyroid disease and the older generation in this country, they're showing up with stomach pain and skin disorders and eyesight stuff. And while those are getting treated, it might be just as simple as aligning their endocrine system. And there's our system isn't designed to absorb communication. So Doctors have to treat and they have to go and it's okay. You're here to, your stomach hurts, you have pain. Well, we need to figure what that is. And um, I would change the communication dynamic. All right, Joel, are you ready? Hopefully you did not prepare for the Thriver rapid fire questions. No, I'm not ready. Here we go. Beach, desert, or mountains? Mountains. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Beatles? (laughs) What is that? That wasn't very confident, by the way. No, no, okay. I, I grew up in a different generation. I'm a hip hop fan, so those three years, like, uh, well, I'll then pick go. someone else. I'll go with the Beatles. I'll go with the Beatles. Why? I mean, what is one word that best describes you? Authentic. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? I don't know. Let's say an LL Cool J song. I'm bad. Okay. No one has. Said that I want, song. I want to walk into the other side with some pump, you know, like, like I want to be ready for I like what's it. coming. I like it. What about the last meal you want to eat? If I had to choose it, it would probably be a, I, I'd go with a, a surf and turf from Capitol Grill with a nice glass of cognac. Yeah, I'd really throw my system off right before I walk into some <laughs> rap right? music to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> what about the last uh, person or people you want to see? My wife and son. And the last words you will speak. I hope that I'm a smart ass to the end. <laughs> and I'd like to walk out of it going deuces. <laughs> <laughs> and aside from Cancer You, what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And also, please tell people how they can get in touch with you. I would hope that this is heard by parents with kids who have critical illness. I implore you to reach out to me or the foundation, just Google Make-A-Wish and find out 
how they can provide an oasis for you, just uh, some moments in time where you're not thinking about what's going on. I found that through my own stuff and our wish with the foundation, Justin's a wish kid, and granting wishes for other families, it's, it's, it's a breather. And how can people get in touch with you? Okay, so I'm on Instagram and it's Nagelbush. I have a website, thechangecompany.net. Find me at uh, coachjoel.lifecoachhub.com. You can Google my last name, Nagelbush, and I come up seems, with Make-A-Wish Foundation. And it seems like it's rare, right? <laughs> it, it is rare. If you find, if you Google the name, uh, somebody in my family is coming up. And you, it's it's pretty easy to see the things that in the impact I'm trying to have. And I am here to help. It took me a while to get to a point where I'm sharing my journey. And that point turned when I realized that people can use my lessons to help with their own stuff. And uh, the more I get to do that, the more purposeful I feel. So please, if there's a chance or you're not even sure if I can help, reach out. It's easy enough. I mean, you could text or email or send me a video, whatever you want. <laughs> okay. We will put all of that in the workshop and show notes. Joel, I know you normally don't go this deep in talking about your cancer journey, but I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story today. Thank you, Andrea. It was, uh, this is a blast. I love it. I wasn't sure what to expect. And uh, I'm, you know, my wife and son, they're going to ask me, how was it? And uh, <laughs> It was awesome. It was badass. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.com university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.